Wait. Right. Now I know. Sometimes these technical things, you don't think much about the technical things uh, when you're not, you know, actually conducting or producing this podcast, for example. Um, but those are the things that I have to consider. And so uh, there are certain things that I have to do. Like, I have to go live on Facebook before I click the media player on my Mac to start recording the podcast. Because if I click the media player first and then click over to the Facebook Live, the media player will crap out on me. Uh, And I've learned these things by experience where some podcasts are recorded only on Facebook because the audio file didn't transfer, right? Um, but you know, there's so much going on. I'm just going to give you guys a personal update as of really beautiful weather, uh, occurring here in, uh, Colorado. It is very natural for this sort of pent up demand from all the cold, wet, rain, snow, weather, uh, fading away, uh, that we would go outside and start to just, you know, everyone collectively, which is something I love about living in seasons, uh, like I don't live in seasons when I live in Texas. It's like a mild winter, really hot summers, right? And so living in seasons here in Colorado, there's this pent-up demand during winter to literally, once the weather's nice, go outside, run around, experience life, you know, tear it up, you know? And and so it's been volleyball, biking, disc golf, and tanning, and hiking, and hammocking, and just, uh, just an endless array of activities that I've been conducting in my life since the nice weather here in Colorado. So honestly, I've not been spending a lot of time indoors. Uh, and then and then top that all off with the fact that the country now finally is reopening, right? And I posted this on my, uh, on my Facebook the other day uh, or yesterday. Let's see, I'm gonna find it right now. I basically said, in case anyone forgets, I'd like to be sure it's on the record that nothing the government did in 2020 was necessary nor legal to, quote unquote, stop the spread of a coronavirus, and we should never tolerate these actions again in America. Uh, and I said that in my state of mind I was in, um, I had some cannabis actually that night, and I it, it just came to me because I realized, wow, you know, yeah, we're free, we have our freedoms back, quote unquote, um, but, you know... What is what we? I think people are already forgetting the tyranny that we were just under, right? We're just sort of rubbing it off like it was no big deal, like as if what the government just did wasn't literal uh, harassment of their citizens. Okay, you should never forget about what happened. Nothing the government did in 2020 was necessary. This whole coronavirus thing has turned out to be a total incomplete hoax in terms of the effect it has had on our lives physically in terms of our health. The lockdowns, which I have been saying since March of 2020, the lockdowns were the problem. They were going to cause economic devastation. Devastation that would lead to uh, starvation, and more infrastructural collapse, political collapse and upheaval. That is what we got out of 2020, out of coronavirus. The election being stolen, the mail-in ballots, all the trash, all the tyranny, all of the ridiculousness of, of, of claiming that there are essential businesses and non-essential businesses, like as if that's a reality, as if that's even, how did that construct even come into existence in our world? In America, how could that even happen? Uh, and I can go on, you know, how non-essential items to purchase. Excuse me, we live in America. We get to fucking buy whatever we want, except for maybe some illicit drugs here and there, which I also think is horseshit, especially about cannabis, something you can literally grow completely without any added, you know, no weird chemicals added into cannabis. Just plant the seed. I know because I got some in my backyard right now. You just plant a seed. It's a freaking plant. And then we're going to make that illegal. You see, I'm reading about the mob. Um, ooh, I don't have the book next to me. It's somewhere else. Um, but I'm, meeting, I'm re- reading about the mob and the mafia. And that's something I wanted to add into the... Uh, I'm going to add into the description of this podcast. The mafia. Because imagine a an entity that is mm, as rich or as wealthy 
as I guess you could say as like like a company. Okay, think of a company. Uh, think of like um, the power of Samsung. I'm not gonna say Apple because Apple's pretty massive. Um, but like a Samsung technology company or even a uh, let's see. I, I don't want to make a complete correlation, but the point is is like imagine just some large corporation. You know, like a Target or some other kind of means. Uh, and it is a corporation, but it is of of families. And in specific, Italian families, like five families in particular, out of New York, Chicago, you know, uh, Miami, Tampa, and Vegas, and L.A., okay, all these cities. Imagine a family is running prostitution rings, drugs, gambling, all these illegal activities to build an empire. And for a long time, just so you understand, which I found most interesting about this book I'm reading, in this historical context during the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, the mafia was a conspiracy theory. Think about that. During that time, the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, who I believe personally was influenced, if not controlled by the mafia, because he, as the head of the Federal Law Enforcement Agency of the United States, said that the mafia didn't, didn't exist. That organized crime wasn't a, a thing in America. And he busied himself with people in the 30s like John Dillinger, right? These low-life, low, low, low life, you know, bank robbers who were going from state line to state line to state line, you know, going and, and committing all these, you know, robberies of all these banks, right? And during the 1930s, if you all remember, that was during the Great Depression where banks were looked at as the evil oppressors, right? The banking, which by the way, that's still true to this day, right? Bankers are the major issue. And so during a time where you have a John Dillinger you know, uh, robbing banks, uh, and then a Bonnie and Clyde, they didn't really rob too many banks, but they did some small cut robberies and things like that. But when you see these kinds of people in that era, those criminals are actually idolized. They are, they, they're, they're put on the front of Time Magazine, you know? Uh, they are idolized because of who they are in terms of what they're doing because the people were believing in them. They were loving uh, the... Uh, the hero, they put them in a hero column. They put them in the hero's journey, like John Dillinger and all these people, because they were doing, they were robbing the banks. The banks were these evil people taking away people's mortgages, taking away people's homes, right? So it's just interesting how J. Edgar Hoover was, was very interested in these low-level crimes, or I mean, they're big deals, but he was interested in making sure that there, there's no bank robberies you know, happening. But then when it comes to organized crime, Okay, we're talking like World War II, Italy, where the fascist government is kicking out the Italian mob out into Sicily, the little island where they had the, the Italian mafia basically existed there. They built their whole existence and uh, they ran the, 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 little, the little Sicily for a while there. And, um, you know, the, 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 the fascist government, Mussolini, trying to take over them. It, it just never worked. It was like a war. But then they came with tanks and planes and everything to destroy the mafia back in the 30s, the late 30s and, and going into 40s in the World War II era. And then having the Italian mafia literally working for the U.S. government to get information on the invasion of Sicily in 1943. I mean, I can go on and on and on. This history is so rich. And the mafia and the mob is something that... Um, it's this underground network of crime, right? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's funny that they called it a conspiracy theory. This is the same thing they would call this Fauci and this medical tyranny, this NIH and the bioweapons funding and all of this stuff. Why do you think we have a bioweapons treaty? Uh, why do you think that this is all a reality? Because, of course, nations and first world countries are investing in bioweapons. The, the, these, are, these aren't conspiracies. These are realities. And now, looking back at the mafia, we know the mafia existed. We know all the receipts. We got the receipts. We got the history. We've got it. The, we got the, 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 the spoken word and we've got stories from both sides of the law from the gangsters themselves and the law enforcement agencies that existed in that time, especially the state ones that were actually interested in investigating these kinds of crimes and these kinds of organized crime in particular. So we can look back at history and think, oh my gosh, well, of course there was a mafia. How can for 30 years this mafia run, you know, rampantly without any federal investigation, even though they were running a federal enterprise. They were running a nationwide enterprise, uh, but yet nobody was going after them, right? That 
is the same level of conspiratorial nature that we would see in the medical tyranny that existed during COVID-19, during this pandemic. You know, going into it, it's people like myself and others, a lot of others, you know, I, I, there's a lot of credit that's due for a lot of different individuals who are basically saying, hey, look, I mean, this is bioweapons. This is stuff that we've been doing. America's been working on bioweapons, especially coronaviruses. We've been working on gain of function. We've been working on uh, on the ability to create viruses that can spread easily, you know, just in case kind of thing. And it's always, you know, under the guise of, oh, well, we're doing it so that, you know, because this other country's doing it, or we're doing it because, you know, we want to find out how to stop it. We want to create vaccines for these crazy bioweapons that we're making by man, they're man-made, but we're making them because, you know, we're trying to get vaccines made from these and then we're all this. And so it's just a big cycle of business, right? Create a problem, find the solution and create the solution and just this cycle of business. And so I think what's to, to cap all of that really quick on the Fauci thing is what's happening is after a year of just lockdowns and just expose exposure and everything and now with the vaccines being rolled out and this 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 total collapse on behalf of the globalist establishment to try and get a vaccine passport all over the world right that was klaus schwab but the world economic forum right saying you're going to have a digital id you're going to have a vaccine passport and you're going to continue to get vaccines every single year well it just didn't work out for these power structures and you know there are there's there's different factions now uh, that Biden is in office. And what's wonderful about Biden being in office, guys, the positive outlook here is that there are just it's just a lot of Biden's people and and the people around him in our federal government right now are are probably more or less incompetent. I wouldn't even call them that evil. They're they're just the the typical losers of government bureaucracy, and they're the ones totally screwing all of this up. They are the Fauci's, right? And, um, you know, at the end of the day, what's happening is this, uh, now that the sort of the establishment, you know, the, the believers in the American empire, the concept of looking at America as an empire, looking at it as a strong, you know, force in the world, using our military to intervene in foreign places. You know, we have like, I think it's over 300 military bases uh, all over the world. And there are... I believe Russia or maybe China has like one other military base outside of their country. And I believe Russia might have like three or four, but America has over 300 military bases all over the world. Okay. So there's these, there's these, there's a faction of elitists that exist that want the American empire that have invested in major petroleum companies, major construction companies, major engineering firms, uh, major military, uh, military industrial complex companies like Boeing and and uh, and uh, Raytheon and weapons development uh, manufacturing and 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 all of these different path, you know areas of industry that have taken over the world. So those factions of elites, I wouldn't say that they, I wouldn't say they have the best you know interests for the common man and the common good for all of all Americans but they're self-interested in preservation they don't want America to disappear they, they they don't want America to just go away they believe that if they can control America they can guide and influence America into a good direction well what happened with Trump was Trump was this populist uh, resemblance of the people being fed up of these different factions warring off against each other in the elitist groups. Not just political parties against each other, but literally like the, the scientific elite versus the military industrial elite. You know, there's like the depopulation agenda and then there's like the the consumer you know corporatocracy agenda that uses the population to to amass their wealth and then the depopulation eugenics part of the cult is the scientific aspect of it where they believe fundamentally in depopulation and bringing down the population, right? So they're, they're, like I'm saying, it's just there's so many different factions of even elites that now that Biden's in power, they're all trying to get a seat at the table, trying to make sure they can guide America in a way that's going to be beneficial. The Fauci's and Bill Gates's and these and some faction of the China files who believe in China moving over to China, making China the next superpower, trying to even make the Chinese yuan, the Chinese currency, the next uh, world reserve currency. That movement, that faction, that group of elitists are being ousted right now. 
Okay, and that's the Fauci. That's what's happening with Fauci. That's what's happening with a Bill Gates uh, and the divorce and everything else, right? So what you're witnessing is a divorce of these political factions, but these elitist factions where one believes in China rising up as, a, as the next world superpower, and then these other b elites that believe in the American empire and want, and want to, you know, they are happy they've gotten hold once again over America so they can steer America themselves. Whereas uh, under Trump, both of those factions, the Chinese influence and the American empire, military industrial complex, di different aspects of that, they were, they were brought together to fight against the populism of Trump and the populist policies of different trade negotiations, immigration reform, economic reform, infrastructure plans to rebuild America in a positive way. So these factions were at war with each other, but then they, they joined forces and defeated Trump, quote unquote, defeated him. They had to steal the election. That's, that's where they are at fault is they had to steal the election to get, to get Biden into office. That's very important to understand. And so I think what you're seeing now is Fauci. That's giving, I'm giving you the 30,000 foot view on that. Whoa. I don't know how that was with the microphone there, but, um, the 30,000 foot view is the watching these elitist factions split. Now let's get into specifically Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fraud. Um, so look, Fauci obviously is the head of the National Institutes of Health. I had to explain this to my roommate actually, just like he had no idea really what was going on. And he knew about this guy Fauci a little bit from the memes and maybe some of the clips and things like that, but didn't understand what this guy was really up to. So just imagine that Dr. Fauci in simple terms is the, is the head, he is the director and the controller basically, the head of uh, this National Institutes of Health, which is in charge of all aspects of health policy in the United States from the executive branch, right? Now they have oversight through Senate and congressional committees. And so with that kind of oversight, you get different, you know, uh, Republican Democrat questions. You get lawmakers questioning the heads of these particular agencies. Each agency is questioned by Congress. You know, the head of our, uh, the DEA, right? The Drug Enforcement Agency. Uh, the head of our ICE department, right? The the head of Immigration's Customs Enforcement. Uh, all of these different people. So, so just as we know, the head of the National Institute of Health, Dr. Fauci, he has to be questioned as well by Congress. Because what is Congress? The Congress is representative of the people, the citizens. So essentially, Dr. Fauci is our employee. And by the way, all of these politicians locally, statewide, and nationally, just as a reminder, they are your employee. They work for you. They're essentially, you know, uh, I'm not going to say it in, in, in simple terms, but you, you have control over them. They don't have control over you. That is fundamentally how our government works. Okay. So Fauci is under uh, congressional testimony in the Senate. And he was being questioned by Senator Rand Paul. A lot of people who are into politics, they know what's going on. They know what I'm about to say. Uh, but for those who don't know, during this congressional testimony, Senator Rand Paul, who is also a doctor, who also got COVID-19 and recovered naturally, has been a uh, critic of masks, has been a critic of this uh, idea of transmission and asymptomatic transmission and has been a critic of the lockdowns, has been a critic of the vaccine for some reasons, but not the whole reason. So the point is that, let's just put it simply, Senator Rand Paul is at odds with Dr. Fauci. So they've had these sort of debacles before in front of the American people on C-SPAN, uh, which is the network that you can watch to see these kinds of congressional testimonies, okay? And so with that, Senator Rand Paul was the one who, who got the receipts. He got the documents about the funding of the Wuhan lab in China, where, which actually was in the, conducting research on biological weapons, but in per particular was what's called gain-of-function research at the University of North Carolina. And that gain-of-function research okay, was moved to Wuhan, China. That's kind of what you do when you're doing stuff that's super shady. You move it to a third world country. It's like having slave labor in Apple factories and they have like, you know, Muslims who are in concentration camps making our iPhones. Yeah, you kind of want to just go ahead and sweep that under the rug and make sure you do that in a third world country in a country that 
can has has that enough control over the population so that kind of information doesn't really hit the mainstream you know what i mean and so that's the kind of thing that they did and so in the scientific journal in 2015 when they moved this research over to wuhan there were these uh debates that happened between the scientific community about this kind of biological weapons research and you know whether we should be doing it how dangerous it is what would happen if you know a virus accidentally leaked and there were people who were genuinely concerned about these kinds of projects you know and so that's why they moved it to the wuhan lab now the grant money which is guys this is just endless okay funny enough senator Rand paul also goes into detail about how our government spends our money and how stupid our money is spent uh we're talking like million dollars on like a, a toilet seat and stuff like that like stupid amounts of money uh, there's there's some hilarious examples out there of how the government spends our money right so with this grant money that was that was approved and signed off by dr fauci himself to fund the wuhan lab which is a biological weapons lab in china so again you're looking at treason right because you're helping another foreign country build a biological weapon that's treason. Then you're looking at the Biological Weapons Treaty, which is a uh, a treaty that we kind of uh, developed in our Congress. It was a congressional act. Then it was a treaty that was signed by different nations that basically said we're never going to develop biological weapons. We're you know we're against this and we're going to sanction and you know we're going to harass and essentially you know put uh, put to shame any country that is going to develop biological weapons, right? So we joined this treaty, we built that treaty, but here we have somebody like Dr. Fauci, you know, funding essentially a biological weapon, right? This is not just COVID-19, by the way. There are other SARS uh, viruses and things that, that are a part of these projects. There's a lot of viruses. Some are transmissible easily. So, some are less transmissible. Uh, some are more powerful in terms of uh, killing or overtaking a human's immune system. Some are less powerful. So it's just a mix. And the point is, is Dr. Fauci is, is, is on the receipts. He is in the documents as funding the Wuhan lab. And when Senator Rand Paul openly asked him, do you still support funding gain-of-function research, Fauci committed uh, perjury, which is lying to Congress, by saying we do not conduct any investigate, we don't conduct any kind of research into gain-of-function. He said that in response. Mr. Mr. Senator, you're wrong about that. We don't do anything like that, blah, 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 right? So he just said that three weeks ago. Now, as soon as Senator Rand Paul started bringing up all of these different things, what happened was a lot of scientists and other doctors who were in the lab actually building these biological weapons, they basically came out and just confessed. So a lot of people started to talk about it. And finally, this is the best part about Trump not being in office, because there's no Trump to attack, the media has become basically obsolete in terms of relevance. No one gives a shit about the media has to say. So they have to actually do some work. Does that make sense? That the media has to actually get back to doing their jobs, which is to investigate, which is to ask good questions, which is to you know uh, bring to light some things that might be happening in Washington, D.C. So now with these factions, with Trump gone and the populists gone, you have these factions of elitists and people, they're warring against each other for power. And so the, the media, some parts of the media, not all, but some media organizations that you would call mainstream, like Washington Post, are actually trying to investigate, seeing what, what are the origins of COVID-19? What actually happened here? And so as scientists basically are calling the Washington Post saying, I worked on the COVID-19 bioweapon, like I didn't, trying to really get out there with sort of getting out ahead of a possible investigation into the, the, the not just the Wuhan lab, but the funding from the NIH and who was working on it, who was a part of it. All of these different names are flying off and all this stuff. And so that was happening. And so the last three weeks have been this sort of a slow methodical uh, expose on Dr. Fraud, right? Dr. Fauci, the Wuhan lab, China, COVID-19, what really just happened, the attack on the world, blah, blah, blah. And so because of that, a FOIA request was was uh, was requested uh, by a human rights uh, a human rights group. I don't know the group, 
But a FOIA, just so you don't know if you're not in America, a FOIA request is a freedom of information request. It is our right as citizens to request information like emails, documents, classified documents, you know, all these kinds of things. We can actually go to court and actually request these things. Um, and whether well, sometimes we have to go to court, we don't have to. Um, but some companies or organizations or individuals might say, hey, I want a FOIA request on everything that you've ever had on my life, text message, whatever. You can actually do that. You can ask the government and the government under, under federal law, they have to provide these, this information. They have to. And so the human rights group that did this, they asked, they had a FOIA request for Dr. Fraud Fauci's emails. Once they got the emails, they dumped them on the internet. When that happened, which was this week, okay, which, what's this week? The first week of June, the first week of June, okay? Fauci's emails are released. And so everyone got to scavenge through them. And guess what? To this very second, news organizations and journalists, good and bad, are going through these emails, discovering things about Dr. Fauci, about what Dr. Fauci was A, told, and what B, he said in return about coronavirus, COVID-19, throughout his entire year, throughout the entire year, and even going beyond that, before that. So people are now trying to find out what is this guy, Dr. Fauci, really about? How does he really think about masks? What does he really think about lockdowns? What is he? What is his agenda? Uh, how involved was he in funding the Wuhan lab? How much did he know about COVID-19 when it was released on the public, right? So there's so many questions that are being answered now because, hey, guess what? When you get to dig through somebody's emails, you're basically finding out pretty much everything they are told or everything they say to other people privately in a way. But again, look, you work for the government, dude. You can't just use a government-run email to scheme and you know say things that you, you literally lie literally in the same sentence, in the same breath, on the same day, and you say the opposite, even though you're emailing and you're conspiring to make sure it's all a big cover-up. So... These are major, major issues, okay? What's going on, Kim? I got I'm on Facebook Live for my podcast, so I'm just saying hi. So anybody wants comments, you guys can add some comments here. I see some people watching. Um, but that's Fauci. That's the email scandal. It's wonderful because not only is Fauci essentially uh, in violation of the Biological Weapons Treaty, but he's also committing treason by allowing China to essentially take biological weapon from the U.S., right? That's like uh, that's like this information exchange that happens called intellectual property theft, which is what China does. Uh, the intellectual property theft, I think, amounted to five hundred million or five hundred billion dollars. Um, so that was a lot of money, a lot of money, and that's talking about you know, that's just talking about information on the United States population. Okay. Uh, that's China. So China has been, so people, I would say, I don't know how you want to put it, but corporations giving China all of this information, let's say databases on, you know, emails of American citizens or a database of like your iCloud, right? Cause Apple has the iCloud over in China. So everything that's uploaded onto your iCloud is stored in servers in China. Just think about that for a second. So it's like, okay, you know, that's kind of a big deal. Um, so, but again, is Apple treasonous? I don't know. That's up for debate. Could there be a court around that? Could we could we sue for that? You know, probably, right? But with Fauci being involved in this stuff, this is a big deal. Fauci shouldn't just be fired. Fauci shouldn't just be publicly scrutinized. This entire pandemic and all the lockdowns and all the lies and all the masking and all the other bullshit, not only should that be completely condemned from here on out as a Holocaust-style situation, not as bad as the Holocaust, essentially, not straight up killing people, but putting masks on children is pretty fucking shitty and a pretty huge violation of human rights. Let's not even go there. Shutting down people's businesses and telling them they don't have a right to make a living, that's a violation of human rights. So we're not going to just move on. We're not going to just move on past this. I'm never going to forget it. And any politician who ever advocated for lockdowns during 2020, I learned more about you. It's like in a relationship. It's like in a marriage. It's like in anything. You know, you, you it's like in a, it's like in a, at a sports team and and your teammates or something. You learn more about your teammates, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, 
your elders, your parents, your brothers, your sisters during a time of crisis than you would during a time of prospering. And what happened last year was a time of crisis. Trump made mistakes. Fauci was a fraud the whole time. Okay? Politicians of all shapes and sizes, locally and statewide, made big mistakes. They should have consulted with doctors, virologists, engineers, and other people in their local counties and in their local states to make local decisions. They did not need to listen to the World Health Organization or a United Nations or a world government tell them how to run their lives in a freaking county. Okay? All of that aside, I'm not going to forget about it. And so what's happening to Fauci, how he's being burned publicly now, on a, like a public lynching essentially, uh, metaphorically speaking, uh, it's a positive thing. It's a positive thing for the people to wake up because there were literally people who worshipped this guy, Dr. Fauci. He was on the cover of like Men's Health magazine. or He was on the cover of GQ. I mean, the guy was worshipped as the savior of the pandemic when now we know he created the pandemic. And I, hey, you know what? Everyone deserves a trial. I'm not saying that we know 100% everything about this whole situation yet. No, I don't think so. Everyone deserves a fair trial with the jury of your peers, but let's get to the facts. Let's find out what you knew and when you knew it. And let's find, find out how involved were you in developing COVID-19. Because now we know it is man-made. The Indian scientists discovered it first because they knew it came from China. And India and China, if you don't know, are geopolitical rivals. Okay, So India called this out first. I got to give the Indians credit. They said it was man-made okay, because they studied in, uh, all the infections coming from China. So a lot to dig in. And I'm, I'm, I'm rehashing the COVID thing because... What's happening with Fauci is a public lynching. And then you've got on top of all of that, uh, the, the reopening of all of these economies, all of the countries opening, re opening back up. Everything's back to quote unquote normal. They failed. I want you to understand. Guess what? We're all going to concerts without a vaccine, without a forced vaccine. I want you to think about that for a second. That's a positive thing because it's people like me and others and probably you listening. It's people like us who were calling out the BS and being relentless about it and not wearing the mask and not falling for all the bullshit and not taking the vaccine. It was our public dissent that got us to where we are today. And it's very fundamental for you to understand that it was the individual like yourself, like me, and like others that are like us. It was the individual's that broke away from the collective and said, no, a mask does not stop viral transmission. You're going to get it either way. This is BS. This is causing other health issues. Social distancing and isolation is evil and a violation of human rights. That's called prison. You don't do that. I can go on. And so this is something we have to come to conclusion of and publicly lynch Dr. Fauci, I mean, honestly, he should be tried. And if he is convicted of crimes against humanity, uh, I could go, I could, I could probably prosecute the guy with as much as I know about him. I could prosecute him. So let's just say he is prosecuted and let's just say uh, he is convicted of whatever, whatever it is, whether it's violation of the Geneva convention or whether it's uh, the violation of biological weapons treaty, whatever it is, uh, that guy should be publicly uh, hung or at the very least life in prison. And we need, we have to make an example of these people. And to be honest, I would I would do the same thing. I would I would conduct a commission on politicians who violated human rights. I would uh, provide even a fund for all the businesses that were shut down during the lockdowns uh, because of Dr. Fauci's advice. So in this court case that's about to happen with Dr. Fauci, he will be tried. By the way, I I believe that. Um, in this is going to be a conversation around. Do you realize how your policies stopped the American economy? How your policies and your ideas what, what, that were wrong, you know, they ended up, you know, collapsing this or doing this or, or hurting these partic particular businesses, blah, blah, blah. And then th th that's going to be broken down into local counties and things like that. So very, very important. Um, this is how the COVID narrative is flipped. I, I mentioned that in the, in the notes here in the, in the show. 
um, because now people are realizing they're not wearing a mask. No one's wearing a mask anymore. It's it's everyone's over it. Uh, people are going back to concerts, vaccine or not. I don't even really see a lot of people bitching about the vaccine or being weird about it. And I give that another month. That that now the vaccine will be basically. It's like it's like I never got it. Okay, you don't have to get it either. And just keep waiting. Just wait another month. Everyone's going to forget about this and move on. And that's important because the sheep are sheep. The sheep are sheep. They're going to move on and just forget about the fact that they were locked down and they were totally their their, their human rights were totally violated. The, that's fine. We'll never get the sheep on board with the truth. But people like us, we cannot forget who did what and who is responsible. Because if we do not prosecute, we don't do something about it, it'll It'll keep happening, okay? So um, I wanted to do Remembering War Heroes because, I mean, I've read so many great books, okay? Uh, Killing England, this is all about the American Revolutionary War. Um, I've, I've read this book here. Um, this is all about D-Day right here. Uh, soldier, sailor, frogman, spy, airman, gangster, kill or die. Uh, funny it says gangster because the gangsters, actually the mafia and the mob there in France and, and the underground network, the underground crime network actually helped the allies invade France on D-Day. So a lot, a lot of cool stuff in these books. And, um, I just wanted to give a shout out really, um, to the wonderful and amazing soldiers, the individuals who make up military and military history and our warriors who have fought for something, especially the American Revolution and somebody like George Washington. That's why I have George Washington right here, right? General George Washington. He is one of my favorite historical public figures as well as Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, but George Washington did way more than Teddy Roosevelt. But he was fundamental. Everything, all the decisions he made, and he had so many enemies, not just the British, but even within the American ranks. People believed that he was incompetent. People believed that you know he wasn't fighting enough. He was just always trying to escape. But it was later in the war that it was clear that George Washington was the most convicted on the mission. He knew it was possible and he never gave up. And his letters and, and his correspondence and just the actions he took and he rode into battle every single time, you know, and he was just such an amazing hero. And I just, I just want to think about somebody like him and just admire him for who he was, you know, and there were... And this, it is a perfect uh, title for this other book, for D-Day, for World War II, Soldier, Sailor, Frogman, Spy. I mean, soldier, sailor, it's, it's, it just goes into, there's soldiers that fight on the front line that actually move the needle, if you will. There's also sailors, the sailors who worked hard making the ships, helping the ships transport all of these soldiers, right? The frogmen, which are the special forces, the Navy SEALs, that's what they were called, frogmen, who were swimming, who were de you know deactivating mines on the beaches in the early mornings, in the 2, 3, 4 in the morning, you know, before the landings there on D-Day. I mean, the frogmen who were literally uh, sneaking into France, you know, unknowing that the, the Germans even knew anything and, and somehow getting around and setting up, you know, bombs and barricades and different things that were going to help the allies. I mean, it's just crazy. And then spies who, women, especially women, like there were so many amazing stories. I'm probably just going to, I can, I can, and I was going to do a whole podcast about this stuff, but there's just so many stories of, you know, uh, of people, civilians risking their lives to make sure that this invasion happened appropriately and that the invasion was kept under wraps and was kept secret. You know, it's just so amazing. And, and everyone's story deserves to be told, you know, and that's what I'm thinking here is just like, you know, there are so many amazing soldiers and there are so many amazing human beings that worked so hard to preserve freedoms because they fought for something. And, you know, it's, and I can go through so many more. I mean, the Spanish-American War, the Mexican-American War, the Civil War especially, just just a one of the most other profound individuals of history um, is uh, Ulysses Grant, you know, and his his entire, his sort of cigar, whiskey, mentality and just this this rugged individual who was fighting for the union and he was a low-level officer and then he made his way up by just 
you know, pure like bravado and courage and strength. And at a time when Abraham Lincoln was looking for a commander of the armed forces, that was somebody he could trust, somebody that was willing to fight because the general, I forgot his name at the time that, um, that Lincoln had in the beginning of the civil war was just losing battle after battle, after battle, after battle. And the Confederacy was looking like they were going to win, that they were going to create a totally separate country. They already had, uh, what was it? Um, uh, man, the president of the Confederacy. Oh my gosh. I want to find, I want to, I want to think about it. Anyways, there's so many historical names that are important. The point is, is like, you know, they're, they're, the Confederacy was winning. The Confederacy was actually going to probably win the war. Uh, they also had the help of the British who were very interested in splitting up America and uh, currying favor to try to gain control over the uh, the slavery industry as well in the southern states so that they could form their textiles from the raw materials like cotton that were sent over to England, right? So um, there's just so much there. But the Civil War, Ulysses Grant, who just changed the, the whole tide of the war by his sheer effort and his ability to outfox the the confederacy and this robert e lee and ulysses grant duo they were fighting against each other robert e lee of the confederacy which is still some of the he as a person is still one of the most respected generals in american history for his ability to fight his cunningness his his um ability to uh to fight against all odds and uh, what's the word i'm looking for to sustain but to 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 do it in in, in under the worst circumstances okay robert e lee fought and won so many great battles. And anyways, Ulysses Grant, just an amazing character, an amazing story. And that's all before he was president of the United States. And when I learned about, you know, Grant's just his journey and how he became the president and just, you know, was just such a, such a admirable figure, especially during a time of reconstruction, during a time when, you know, the, the Confederacy lost because of the resourcefulness of the North and how they just, they just lost because they didn't have the resources. They didn't have the manpower. They didn't have what they, what they could get to continue the war forever. And they reunited and Grant was a great, amazing president, uh, for two terms, you know, because he was able to, um, unify the, the, the country because he was a warrior, because he was a general, because they respected him for being in the fight and knowing that he saw the wrath of war between the two, the two factions, the Confederacy and the Union, you know? And I think that that's, it's just amazing. So it's like stories like that guy, you know, do y'all even know who that is? Like, do you even understand the capacity of uh, an individual like that and their influence on this entire world by their little decisions? And by the way, the grace of God who helped them dodge bullets and dodge all these things like, like, like George Washington, he was, he was in the, uh, the French and Indian war. And he was with a British battalion when they were going up against these French, uh, uh, these well, these the French and Indians, but the they were on the way to a French garrison to take it over, and they were ambushed by Indians, and the battle was lost. I mean, the British were completely embarrassed; they were completely out of shape, and they were destroyed. And somehow, George Washington had holes all in his coat from musket fire because he was riding on this horse, being an aide to uh, I forgot which general. I think it was Clinton during uh, General Clinton. Uh, but he was an aide to the to the British general going back and forth, and he was fighting these Indians and these French. And so it's just an amazing, incredible, powerful story. And it's like, boom, that guy, George Washington, like you would never have known. He was just a low-level officer during that time, but then he rose to fame and power and became the commander-in-chief and the first president of the United States. And so I just wanted to give a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, because if anybody knows me personally, they know that I love war history, military history. It's just fascinating to me. I love just the the psychology, the consciousness of fighting for your country, fighting for your family, fighting for the righteousness, the the, the real beliefs, you know, that are going to uh, create a prosperous world. And guess what? A lot of evil has won before in the past, and a lot of good has won. And it's just this triumph of of good over evil in the history of our of, of our world. And so whenever Memorial Day came and went, it just it just felt so like, yes, there are people, Iraqi freedom and all these other kinds of wars that are just 
a little bit out of touch in my personal opinion with the historical uh, aspects of like a civil war or the American Revolution or World War II even where you were fighting against a, a real world power being the German machine, the Nazi regime, you know, the fascism of Italy and, and Germany and, 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 and then Japan, the emperor, the empire of Japan just totally taking over. I mean, we lost that war before we, we even won. It was crazy, guys. And so just to know the little stories of people who committed to a cause it's just it's it, it warms my heart it's 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 very powerful and and i just i give it i give it all to people like that who fight for it all and just you know who lay it on the line a lot of people who are never going to be remembered you know um you know books like the one in front of me uh by giles milton this is one of my favorite books ever just so you understand it's a great read so for anybody who's interested a great re very entertaining very entertaining uh, by Giles Milton, and it's it's just how the Allies won on D-Day, and it's just it's just it's just so powerful. I can't even I just can't even get into it. So anyway, big shout out to all the soldiers and the civilians who have to suffer and who have to have heartache, uh, and then who triumph and who have victory, uh, you know, and know what victory is like. And they are the you know as we know by the quote here, um, they are the man in the arena. You know, the man in the arena. So the men in the arena, the women in the arena, it's powerful. So I just wanted to share all that with you guys today. I know there's just absolutely just so much we can get into. And uh, I just hope that uh, number one is, uh, look, I mean, the tide's turning. Uh, populism's everywhere. Everyone knows the election was stolen. Uh, you know, it's like I knew they stole it, but could they keep it? Uh, and politically, there's a revival happening as well. I think a lot of people of every political uh, belief uh, would 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 they're in disagreement, violent disagreement, I think, with lockdowns, with what happened with COVID. It's just a total violation of our rights. Uh, and let's not forget about it. And let us continue to fight the good fight. Let us know what's what's here in the future is to, uh, you know, in remembrance of warriors who actually fought and died on a battlefield, we have to fight in uh, in different ways, you know, with, with conversation, with empathy, with a listening ear. You know, we have to fight in those ways for the intellectual battle that is in front of us and for the spiritual battle that is in front of us as well. Um, and yeah, so it's just absolutely crazy. I was going to let y'all know earlier. I don't know why I didn't. I, not only was I going outside a lot, so I haven't been podcasting or like doing a whole bunch of research like I usually do, uh, but I also flipped over my bike on this mountain biking trail and I just like wrecked my shoulder. Uh, but um, I'm able to recover. Uh, and thankfully, of course, I have longevity products and the 90 essential nutrients. I take them every single day. I do believe strongly that my um, commitment to supplementation and putting in the raw nutrients in my body every single day has helped me alleviate suffering from injury, but also has uh, uh, alleviated injury itself because my body is stronger as it is. And my body can go longer and my body has more endurance and I'm able to do the things that I do in terms of mountain biking and playing volleyball and kayaking and disc golfing and all these other extraneous activities that I end up getting into because of my supplementation. So anyway, if you ever want to support the podcast, definitely go to the Longevity store. Everyone here should be customers and get all the supplements you ever want, all the wellness products you could ever need. They're all there and available. And one of the things I wanted to say also is just a big shout out to yoga. I mean, if you do not stretch and do yoga, um, it's just it's just so important. Let me let me give an example. So I I flipped over my bike. Okay, so when I flipped over my bike, I I, I landed on my back, and 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 what happened was you can imagine my shoulder here. All the muscles were just pulled, right? All the muscles were just pulled, 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 right? Because it's like a it's like a, you know when you're smashing your body against the ground, the, your own body weight is 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 straining your muscles that are now kind of bruised, right? And so uh, that's the that's the that's what it looks like. Just imagine me flipping over. Yeah, that's what it looked like, right? Well, when I do what's called plow pose, plow pose is where you 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 lay down completely on your back and you throw your legs over your head. And I mean, if you could if you could get to it, I would say touch your toes to the ground, literally behind you, right? And what is that doing? That's that's all your body weight over your back. It's stretching your upper back and your neck. So if you ever have neck pain 
and upper back soreness, like tightness around the upper back, if you do plow pose, it will release all that tension. So I did plow pose and instead of having my feet, and I mean, for the podcast, y'all are kind of like, okay, what's going on here? But if you know what plow pose is, you might as well just Google the position because that's what I was in. And imagine I'm in plow pose where my feet are directly over me, right? Well, then I leaned my, my legs over to the right slightly and what happened was that was the rolling tumble. That was the angle at which I was actually tumbling. So when I moved my legs over to the right and I put that body weight that 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 the legs the the leg weight over that 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 strain that that exact motion that I was in when I slapped onto the ground when I fell off the bike it it hurt a lot right and it's hurting in the stretch but I need to stretch that out in order to repair it because it's what happens is once uh, an injury happens the injury is becomes swollen and it becomes very tight and if it's too tight and you don't stretch it out again, it won't heal correctly. When I stretch it and I, I take supplements and I actually put nutrients in the body, it goes right into the bloodstream. And so yesterday I was just so tight and I, I was so tight, I couldn't take a deep breath. Think about that. You know how you take a deep breath? You just deep, do you know what I mean? No problems. Have you ever been so tight or injured on your on your back or your shoulder or anything where you're trying to take a deep breath and you feel pain in, in your muscles and you can't even breathe all the way? Like your diaphragm can't expand. Have you ever cramped before where you where your breathing hurts to, to, to because you're cramping in a muscle? Imagine that. That's how my my back had been like for the last two days. And so when I did this yoga pose and I, I locked in and I was and I just I, I was hurting, it hurt, but I just sat there and just resonated with it and then released it. And I just all of a sudden felt just so much better, fell asleep, woke up. Like my shoulders completely healed, you know, and I say that because it goes back to everything I'm I'm all about, but most importantly, everything that we all should be about, which is self healing, the immune system, uh, the, the the looking at your body as a healing system, and respecting your body in that way, uh, and that's why again I do promote the longevity supplements and things, but I take care of the body. I eat correctly. I get enough exercise, not just exercise. I get joy and excitement and thrill out of my life from pursuing hobbies and from podcasting with all of you here. So it is this level of excitement and this level of joy that I get from doing all of this uh, that's most important. And so I just wanted to say that that's a big shout out to uh, to uh, just all of the people out there who are interested in their health, who are considerate of their ability to heal, who know the truth about the body, who know they they have, you know, all of the potential in the world, okay? So anyway, just wanted to give a shout out there and just let you guys know. Uh, but other than that, I've, I've got my spill in for the day and I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan on trying to get this balance of fun, 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 you know, summertime and trying to balance that with, hey, being here, hanging out with you guys, podcasting, and still getting to chat and still getting you guys the downloads that I'm always getting. And so if you're not following me and don't add me on Facebook, definitely do that. Uh, absolutely, I'll put the link in the description of my podcast. And then also for my Instagram, would love for you guys to follow me there. Uh, I also will, if you if you are listening to the podcast and you go to the Instagram, message me. If you direct message me, let me know, hey, I found you from your podcast. I'd love to be added to your close friends list. If you're added to my close friends list, those are the little blips throughout the day that I'll, I'll let you get in on on some of my you know thoughts about what's going on and I share my most intimate thoughts on my close friends list. So please message me, let me know about that and I will uh, get to you when that happens as soon as I can and I'll add you to the close friends list on Instagram. But other than that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Peace.